We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. It's good to be here. He, yeah, he's like, I'll be with you in a second. He's so glad to be. No, it's, he's getting ready. So today's conversation is a topic that we have so many questions come in on. From all over, because everybody yeah. seems concerned about the topic. Everybody has, to, has questions on this topic. We tend not to cover it because... You know, sometimes we're worried it's going to reflect too much on local things and all this other stuff. But we've had enough questions that it seems a little negligent not to cover it at least somewhat. So I grabbed the one out of all of them that seems the most well put together. And, and you can summarize it for us, can't you? I can summarize it. And then obviously, as more questions come in, maybe this will be the building point for some of those other things. Okay. All right. So uh, first off, Ben. Thank you for sending this in. It was very well put together, so we're going to kind of use it as the foundation to get us started here today. Uh, he starts off by talking about the election of elders and deacons. Okay. And specifically asking, should any man that meets the qualification of either role and is eager to serve be elected to that position? Typically, we tend to just have, you know, one or two guys, and it's rare to have more than one guy on any particular deacon role. And it's also rare to have more than one or two guys elected to an elder's role. So is it that we should continue to keep this nice and tidy? Or is it, if there's a whole bunch of them, let's put them all in? Well, um, in Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law saw him trying to do all the stuff himself. And he said, you need to appoint a bunch of other guys to help you uh, do this and de delegate. And he gave some qualifications. And if you go to Exodus chapter 18, okay. look at verse 21 and 22, if you will, there. He says, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties and of tens. All right, now if you reckon that the Israelites at that time probably were three million in number, mm -hmm. then if you appoint people over all those... This is going to be a large number of men That's appointed. a large number of people. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, and also if you go to Act 6, of which you're well aware. Yep, which he mentioned in his question. They yes. appointed seven men of full of the Spirit, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so forth. And they, uh, these were also respectable men in character. They appointed them to one ministry, mm -hmm. the feeding of the Grecian widows. So at least in answer to his question, there's precedent for appointing multiple people to be in similar ministry, depending on how many people you need to serve, et cetera. So. Yeah. 
So it's it it almost feels like the practical application would be if the ministry needs more hands on deck, don't feel like you need to appoint one man because, you know, one guy should be able to run this thing. Use the use no. the people you need to. The whole idea of somebody being in charge, especially in the Act Six thing, is not part of it. They all of them set, accept the responsibility. Mm. They work together to get it done. There doesn't have to be a boss. Okay. So, anyway, I think there is precedent, and of course, I would think in the in the in the work of shepherds that we would need as many of those as possible if they were truly qualified to help shepherd as many people as possible. So, mm. Anyway. And so maybe that's a, do we tend to try to fit people in to those qualifications in order to appoint? Sometimes they do. So ask me another question based on that. Okay. Um, well, he moves into some other things from there, but sticking in this kind of the qualifications and the numbers section. Okay. You want to talk about the qualifications and, I think it's more the when when they're seeking to appoint more men. Yeah. If it's a small number, I guess I guess the question would be if it's a small number, should we be content with a small number? And if there's a large number, should we be comfortable appointing a large number? Depends on who's qualified and what the congregation's needs are. There's no there's no biblical answer to that. Um, if there are men uh, Acts twenty twenty eight says the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So if there are men in whom the Spirit of God has worked in their character and has made them carers for other people's souls and good examples, then why would we not appoint those men to serve as shepherds if they're willing to serve? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing in Scripture that suggests that we could we should keep shepherds or deacons to a certain number because that almost sounds like um, uh, somebody wants to um, be able to control it more easily or something mm. like that, but I don't see that in Scripture at all. Yeah, like even going back to the Exodus chapter, uh, he's appointing by the thousands and the fifties and you know people over set number. That was based on need, and of course the deacons were based on ministries that needed to be yeah. fulfilled. So. And so a typical thing that I have heard more often than not is you get to appointing elders and you go, well, we don't want to appoint two of them because that'll make it equal and we don't want to have an, an That's equal. a totally non-biblical, uh, worldly management idea that has nothing whatsoever to do with God or his word. Mm. So, so again, we should be going back to the qualifications rather than some numerical... Like yeah, that's arbitrary and worldly. We shouldn't yeah. base it on that. No. So if we're a church of 50, well, we we really only need two elders to cover the 50. Mm, not if, if there are men that can truly shepherd souls and shepherd one another. That'd be great if you had five or ten or whatever. Yeah. You probably won't, but it yeah. would be great if you did. So the number itself shouldn't matter one way or the other. Exactly. It's based on those qualifications. Absolutely. All right. So... The next question, and you may have specific questions about qualifications. We can always come back to some of those. And it's also based, let me interrupt you just a minute. Sure. It's also based on whether the men that we perceive to be qualified want to do that ministry. Yes. Because it says if a man desires overseeing, mm-hmm. if he de- 
desires caretaking, then he desires a good work. But if he doesn't desire to take care of people's souls, then even if you perceive him to be qualified, you shouldn't. Yeah. And where's that verse from? First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.1. There we go. That way we can have it up on the screen and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely have a desire. And that's, I'm sure you've run into it before, where there was a man who was fully qualified, but for one reason or another, he wasn't comfortable stepping into that position. And right. Right. So, yeah. All right, let's go on to the second question that he posed here. He said, Dan, you've talked about in other podcasts and, and other videos here that you don't specifically believe that Peter was a local congregation elder. Yes. So could you provide some reasons specifically why you believe that? Because most men that you talk to, and including him when he's writing this, assume that he was. Yeah. Um, the word elder, um, both in the Hebrew and the Greek text, has generic meanings and more specific meanings. Mm. If you go all the way through the Old Testament text and read about the elders, for example, after this Exodus 18 passage here, you read through the Pentateuch and it talks about the elders of Israel. Mm -hmm. In Exodus 24, it talks about the elders of Israel. The word elder, tribal elders, elders of the tribes of Israel, elders of the cities, elders of Israel, that simply meant leaders. Okay. And um, it, it, it did not have as specific mm-hmm. a, a meaning as it has when you're talking about 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Okay. Uh, in, not to get in real depth to this, but if you, if you read through passages like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, mm-hmm. you know, Jeremiah will list the kings, the priests, the prophets, and... Um, uh, those were basically the three. Those were called the leaders, elders, shepherds of Israel. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel caught, talks about the shepherds of Israel. Solomon, when he's praying for wisdom in First King th- uh, three, he asked for wisdom that he might shepherd God's people. Mm-hmm. See, yeah. so today we would use those words sometimes incorrectly, more specifically, but. And throughout the Bible, those words like elder, shepherd, those were generic words that applied to anybody in whatever role that was supposed to be a spiritual leader of some kind. Okay, so when you get to the Gospels, Jesus was talking to the scribes and elders. Okay. Well, that's presbyteros, presbyteros, that's the same word that you have in the others. And so... Those were not church elders. Those were either Jewish Pharisees, which is one type of person, or Jewish priests, mm-hmm. Sadducees, another type of person. Yeah. They were all called elders of the Jews. Okay. So they were, again, a spiritual leader, but not a particular office, yeah, so to they, say. Yeah, they were, they were called elders because they were leaders. Okay. And then you even get to the early part of the book of Acts, and it talks about the elders of the Jews. Mm-hmm. So even in Acts, we're still talking about elders in a generic way. Okay, so does it switch well after Acts 2, so to say? or I think the term was always used in the New Testament generically to refer to leaders, spiritual leaders of any type, but it was also used in conjunction with um, terms like episcopos, overseer, and, um, uh, you know, shepherd to refer to locally appointed church elders in the vein of, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. So there were always generic and specific usage Hmm. of the term. Peter, 
was an apostle. And so in the generic Jewish sense, all apostles were viewed as elders. All apostles were leaders, spiritual leaders right. that were recognized by the people. Of course. That doesn't mean that they were appointed by a local church hmm. to be leaders in a particular, because everybody in every church recognized them as elders yeah. or leaders. Okay, so okay. you have Peter in First Peter 5, where it says... You can read that for us, because I know we're skimming through a lot of passages right there. Yeah, First Peter 5. Starting with verse 1, a couple of verses there. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. All right, so, you know, Peter is writing to a, a, an audience there that understands that generic usage. Mm -hmm. So you could almost read that as I'm writing to you leaders as a fellow leader, mm. but that doesn't mean that he is a locally appointed church elder. Second uh, John, verse 1. Okay. Second John 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children who All right. love. John the elder. What does that mean? Was he an elder in the church at Ephesus? I doubt it seriously. Not in the sense we mean. Mm. But everywhere John went, he was recognized as an elder slash a spiritual leader. Yeah. He was an apostle. Yeah, and he addresses himself that way in Third John as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, even back in that First Peter passage, when it follows up with shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Yeah, he's he's probably talking to church elders mm -hmm. along with maybe prophets and other leaders there, but he is addressing church elders, but he considers himself to be an elder yeah. or in their mind, leader. Just a leader. Yeah. So So maybe is there a way to tell, like, is there a defining difference or all yes. the different words used? Yes. When you find elder in a list of older men, older women, younger men, younger women, then mm -hmm. it's talking about an older man, not a spiritual leader. For example, okay. 1 Timothy 5, 1. Mm -hmm. Go to that one. Okay. 1 Timothy... I'm on small pages. So like every other word, context determines its meaning. But read yeah. 1 Timothy 5, like 1 or 1 and 2 or something. Yeah, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters, in all purity. All right, but see, yours translated it, older man, but it's presbyteros. It's the exact same word. Mm. The reason the ESV translators did that is because they saw it was in a list of older, younger Mm. So it meant older man instead of yeah. elder in the sense of a spiritual leader. So in some versions out there, it probably says, do not rebuke an elder, it but does. encourage him. It does. Mm. Absolutely. Look at Titus 2, 1. Okay. Titus 2, 1. 1 and 2 or whatever. Read there a little bit. Uh, as for you, teach what, uh, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be revered and, be and reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Training the what? Training the younger women. All right, and then if you keep going down there. Uh, let's see. About verse 5 or so, 4 or 5. Five to be they're to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, so the work of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to so be self-controlled. So see, there in that little paragraph, you've got older men, older women, mm. younger women, younger men. Yeah. And so that is the reason why your translators translated presbyteroi, which is 
Hmm. Same word, elders. They translated yeah. it as older men. The context demands it. Okay. And but, that's going to be different than the passages where he's specifically saying these are the qualifications of a yes office of elders. Go so back to, to Titus 1.5, and you'll see the same word in a different use. Read 1.5 and 6 there. Yeah. He's, it says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put on what remain, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, mm-hmm. as God's steward, so must see, be above you're gonna reproach. So you're going to appoint elders in verse 5, and in that last verse mm-hmm. you read, for an overseer, some translations, mm-hmm. bishop, it's yeah. episcopal. So those are the same animal. They're appointed, and this is their role. Mm. See, that context shows it, and then the context also shows it in chapter 2. Okay. So we're going to see that difference. And so specifically in Peter, we typically hear him referred to as an elder in that general spiritual leader sense, not that he was appointed over a particular place. I think so. And I think even in Acts 15, you know, it says... uh, in the first couple of verses there, talking about the great conference that a bunch of churches got together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you be circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after P- Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. All right. Now, see, it's, it's especially intriguing. If you take Luke Acts mm-hmm. and you start at the first part of Luke and you underline presbyteroi or elders every time it occurs and see how it's being used. Yeah. And then follow that right into the first part of Acts mm-hmm. and follow it right up until here. It's very difficult to discern when you get to Acts 15 whether he's actually even talking about appointed elders or if he just means the apostles and leaders. Hmm. And it probably included some appointed elders, but probably also prophets, yeah. probably also some evangelists, probably also some other people. So there was the generic use, spirit, recognized spiritual leader, and there yeah. was the more narrow use of a local church appointed yeah. spiritual leader. And that's basically because that local appointed spiritual leader elder was a new thing, really. Yeah, the first, the first specific... Uh, mention of the local appointed elders that we know were locally appointed is Acts 14, 22, and 23. Mm-hmm. And this is when uh, Barnabas and Saul have gone through for about 14 years establishing churches in Galatia. And uh, read what it says there. Start with 21 and read through 23. Yeah. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice like Titus 1.5, they appointed elders for them in every church. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so, and the verse you started out with probably covers about 13 of those 14 years mm. when they were strengthening and building up those churches, and then, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, do we have any other questions in that? We do. Okay. We have the fun one to close it out. Now okay. that we've talked kind of about 
numerical appointees and some of this concept of what was the leader and elder. Well, then, speaking of our Titus verse, how do we know when to rebuke sharply, as in Titus 1.13? Can you rebuke sharply with gentleness, as we're instructed to have in 2 Timothy 2.25? Now, who's he talking specifically about to rebuke sharply? I would guess we're still on the topic of elders based on the flow of his questions. Read the, read the um, Titus passage that he mentioned. and I want to make sure what he's Let's talking see. about. Titus and Philemon. You know, all those things. Titus 1.13. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that we may be sound, that they may be sound in faith. Okay, if you go back to verse 9 and 10, though, read that. 9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as is taught. Talking about verse 7, an overseer, God's steward, I would assume. Yeah, okay, so he's going to appoint men Mm -hmm. who can both teach the sound doctrine efficiently and re- yeah and they can also rebuke or convict those that speak against it mm-hmm. and then he himself as he goes out mm-hmm. is going to rebuke sharply those cretans who are not behaving as he describes there right so it seems like while titus is appointing people that when he leaves will be able to take this role titus himself is also doing this mm-hmm. as he travels through the island where necessary yeah so um, when people are obstinately teaching false doctrine that's turning people away from the faith, you're supposed to rebuke them sharply. Mm-hmm. So I guess the specific verse there is talking about the elders rebuking other people, right? I don't think so. I think it's talking about Titus doing it down there. Okay. But if you go back to verse 9 and 10, mm-hmm. he's talking about Titus appointing elders who are capable of doing that. I think if you looked at the imperatives there, yeah. I'm pretty sure they're not plural, they're singular. Okay. So In other words, a, instead of you all rebuke, it's you. You, yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit of break in thought between kind yeah. of verse 9 and 10. Yeah, and then he, you know, when he says in verse chapter 2 there, speak the things that befit the sound teaching, mm-hmm. I think that's also a you, Titus. Directed to Titus. Not that the elders shouldn't do it too, but is yeah. directed to him. Because they have the idea there of also rebuke those who contradict it that's being directed exactly right. to them. Yeah, that's right. So we all kind of have that role in some degree. Yes. So I guess if we were to take that as a general concept, maybe if that verse isn't specifically addressing it. Elders and evangelists should together be teaching what's right and correcting when it's wrong. Okay. And so, if people are obstinate, in teaching what's wrong, they should be sharply rebuked. So there's no misunderstanding. Okay. So sharply rebuked, so there's no understanding. And then he's got the Second Timothy 2.25. Is, what is, how would we tie together some of that? Second Timothy 2.25. Mm-hmm. That verse says, uh, I'll go back to 24. That mm-hmm. way it'll be a full sentence here. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, 
correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they yeah. may escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. See, there he's talking to Timothy about Timothy's own behavior, and he's telling Timothy to be gentle as he corrects people, as mm -hmm. a rule of thumb. Okay. But most people are not obstinate false teachers hmm. or obstinate rebellious yeah. people that are causing trouble. And those that are, you sometimes have to rebuke hmm. sharply. Okay. Not that elders shouldn't take the same attitude, but that particular passage is talking about yeah. Timothy. Okay. So, now again, if we were to take the concept, how do we know when to rebuke sharply versus rebuke with gentleness? I think what we find in those passages is when you meet rebellion and obstinance and somebody not willing to listen who is bent on their agenda, whether it destroys the church or not, hmm. you rebuke sharply. Okay. But up to that point, you should have patience and be kind and try to gently correct and show. And most people who want to do right will will see that they need to change course. You know, but okay. if they don't, then you have to yeah. rebuke sharply. So it's not necessarily a one approach or the other. It's try to use the, the one. The situation determines. There we go. Yes. If you're really reading the situation and involved on it, it'll kind of present itself. Okay. And was that the whole thing? That was most of what he's got. Now, I'm sure that is not everything. So you didn't even get into the process of, of appointing we, them? No, or, we didn't get into the whole. What happens if one is unqualified or anything like that? I think Dan's already thinking of part two. <laughs> okay, we may have part two because all those are questions in people's minds. Also. Oh, yeah, and they've been questions that mm -hmm. we've gotten. But I think that this gets us rolling on that direction and maybe answers a couple. Because I know these are some that we got multiple times in various yes. forms. And we, we also got a question recently that we did a program on about the role of evangelists and mm -hmm. what that is. Yeah. People seem somewhat confused about that. And even on like what we were talking about with being rebuked, the concept of confession is one we had just mm -hmm. recently. And mm -hmm. sometimes this rebuking sharply will come into, well, are they willing to confess their sins or are they withholding them? And yeah. then that will be part of the role that the spiritual leaders play in that. Okay. So well, yeah. maybe we'll have to have part two. Maybe talk a little bit more about appointing because that is so clearly laid out how we... And are elders and deacons appointed for life or... How does that work? Yeah. I say that with all sarcasm because there's what, like 50 ways, 100 ways that people in churches. But is there any about? actual biblical guidance for that? That's mm. what we will talk about. That is what we will look into. Yep. So, yeah, thanks for joining us on this first of what seems to be at least two talks about elders and that whole process because it does affect each and every congregation. Yep. And there's a lot of things to consider because I'm sure your congregation people-wise, is a little different than the one next to you? or All of all congregations yeah. are different. So considering gifts and appointings and all that sort of stuff, there's a lot to look into. Yep. So hopefully this gets us started. We look forward to your comments, your questions, and hopefully you'll be joining us for our part two coming up soon. Yeah. God bless. See you all next time. Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com.